so I asked a question on Twitter about what questions do you have? I'll give you a really long in-depth answer on my podcast because obviously on Twitter and some of these uh, social media platforms, you only have like 140 characters or sometimes even less and your videos are short form. So anyways, I'm going to, I'm going to call this segment, uh, Q or no XQ, I guess that's what we're going to call it. XQ. And the reason I'm calling it XQ is because Twitter is now called X. So it's going to be called X and then Q is questions. So these are Twitter questions or X questions. So every week I'm going to post a thread or a question saying, Hey, fire away, give me your best cardiology questions, and I'll give you an in-depth answer. So today we're going to start with Jim Bovelur, B-O-V-E-L-U-R. Jim has a question, and if we have time, I'll go through a couple other ones. There's a few good ones. Jim says, I'm 34 years old, I'm on a statin, numbers are great, but I still want a stress test to be sure there are no blockages. My cardiologist says no, because it's more likely to have a false positive then find an issue and he's not going to go on a rabbit hunt with no symptoms. What are your thoughts? So first of all, your cardiologist is correct. There's no reason to do a stress test if you have no symptoms. First of all, it's not even indicated and your insurance will never pay for it. You cannot just do stress tests on people that have no symptoms and no problems. Now, he's saying that I'm 34 and I'm on a statin and I just want to make sure I don't have blockages. What does a stress test do? So a stress test is a functional test. We put you on a treadmill we ask you to jog, well, you first walk and then you jog. And then based on how long you last on the treadmill, plus some imaging, sometimes we do imaging, sometimes we don't. His insurance probably won't approve imaging since he's 34 years old. But basically, it, you get on the treadmill, you walk every three minutes, the incline goes up and the speed goes up. So you could kind of do your own uh, treadmill stress test on your own. If you own a treadmill, start at 2.5 miles an hour and like a incline of like two or three degrees every three minutes increase it by the ninth or tenth minute you'll be doing by the ninth minute most people depending on how tall you are and how long your legs are you'll be doing a jog you'll be doing a light jog and that's about where we want to see you around the uh, 10 minute mark so that's where most people will end up they'll be jogging somewhere around the 10 minute mark uh, the nine minute mark, I should say. And the data on stress testing shows that if you do make it to the ninth minute, if you do make it to the ninth minute, you are actually, um, I'm sorry, the 10th minute. If you make it to the 10th minute, there's very little likelihood, if any, that you will ever have a cardiac event over the next, you know, four or five years. Um, so the that's why it's called a functional test for, for many reasons, because we're testing the function of your arteries while you are doing a functional maneuver, which is um, running, jogging, what, what have you. Now, you could do this on your own. If you actually can get on a treadmill and jog at a light pace for 10, 15 minutes, you're, be, you're doing better than any stress test. So you, you're going to pass and you're going to be fine. A stress test is generally good at picking up blockages that are over 55% or or 60%. It's a good screening tool because we don't put stents in unless the blockages are over 70%. The data shows there's no benefit to the person. In fact, there may even be harm if you put stents in blockages that are less than 70%. However, over 70%, they do fantastic. They do really, really well. So that's kind of why we do stress tests. It's a screening tool. You just cannot take everyone to the cath lab that says, ouch, I have chest pain. You cannot just cath everyone. That would be uh, super inappropriate. And the risk of uh, 
injury or bad outcomes or, you know, horrible things happening is just way too high. So we definitely don't want to just take everyone to the cath lab just because they say they have chest pain. So keep that in mind. Um, so that would be my response. Your doctor is right. Um, you do not want to be getting a stress test for absolutely no reason. Um, if your LDL cholesterol is now well controlled, if you, so think about it this way, logically, you know, not logically, but based on science, if your LDL cholesterol is below 60, there's very little chance that you are putting, you know, building plaque. Um, it's just the nature of the beast. There's almost no way you are building plaque um, with an LDL cholesterol below 60. The Jupiter trial, this is many, many years ago, over 20 years now almost, the Jupiter trial showed that with people with an LDL cholesterol 57 or less, there's very little chance, if any, of having an atherosclerotic event, which is where we want to keep it. We do not want people to have atherosclerotic events. So the Jupiter trial definitely did a really good job uh, with that. And obviously this has been confirmed over the years with more and more trials and more and more data. So it's not like we just look at one single trial and that's the end of it. Um, we look at lots and lots of data, you know, over time in multiple different uh, trials. So, Jim, I hope that answers your question. Um, and uh, we'll get to the next question. I guess we have time for more. I think there was another one here by a Tim. Let me scroll down a little bit. Or Tom. Do different Tom, Tom P729. Do different saturated fat sources matter when it comes to raising ApoB? And ApoB is apolipoprotein B. He continues, all I ever hear is cut back on red meat, but never cut back on cheese, milk, baking, baking sweets, etc. So this is a very, very good question. And it deserves a very nuanced answer. And this is one thing I always tell people. If someone is an expert in everything and there's no nuance, they're not an actual expert. If you go and ask somebody, should I eat eggs? And they're like, yes. And then you ask them, should I eat cheese? And they're like, yes, of course, cheese is great for you. And they have no nuance. Generally speaking, they're not an expert. Most experts will say eggs are generally good in the case of this, but not in the case of that. And some studies showed this, but other studies showed that. So an expert speaks in general, general generalities. They don't speak in absolutes. They don't say, yes, absolutely, that is always true, or no, Never. That is never going to happen or only this or only that. In fact, when we were studying for multiple choice questions, as you know, doctors take lots and lots of multiple choice questions. But one of the things they taught us, if an answer has the word only or never or always, and it's an absolute term, that answer is probably incorrect. Now, see, I'm doing it too. I'm saying probably. I'm saying generally. So there's a lot of nuance when it comes to you know, being an expert and an expert in most things. And I've done a bunch of podcasts on this. Just search my show for expert um, or nuance even, but expert, the ones about expertise and expert should show up. So the, the source of saturated fat absolutely matters. And it matters in, in a lot of ways. And there's some cases where we just don't really know where the data still is out there. So we know with almost absolute certainty that Saturated fat from animal sources, generally speaking, raises your ApoB. These are like your butter, your tallow, the fat on steak, chicken skin, bacon, um, turkey skin, you know, almost any fat that comes from animal sources, especially, you know, in, in the United States, it's usually butter, bacon, cheese. Those are the most common saturated fats for the United States. Um, but basically, almost all the time, those will generally raise your LDL. See, I'm saying generally again. 
or razor ApoB in this case. Uh, saturated fats or, or fats just in general. So for, for example, the, on the opposite end of the extreme are fats that are not saturated at all. These are your mono uh, unsaturated fats, like mostly what's in olive oil. And then you have the polyunsaturated fats, which are like in most vegetable oils, sunflower oil, safflower oil, etc. Those generally speaking do not raise your ApoB at all. And in fact, actually lower it. We know that olive oil lowers your ApoB. And we know also generally speaking that um, uh, vegetable oils will lower your ApoB as well. And in fact, in some studies, vegetable oils lowered ApoB and cardiovascular risk markers better than olive oil, um, believe it or not. Um, now, the question becomes, what about plant-based fats that are saturated? Because there are some, mainly coconut oil. This is kind of the exception to the rule. Coconut oil is plant-based, generally speaking, it is. And it it... It is a saturated fat, which is rather rare. Most saturated fats contain more palmitic oil. The fatty acids that are in it are palmitic, uh, palmitic acid. That's the fatty acid that is um, in saturated fats, and coconut oil has more of it. Now, the data on, on coconut oil kind of goes back and forth. There's There's been some huge meta-analyses that looked at coconut oil, and it showed that your lipid markers do go up, just like they would with any type of saturated fat. There have been studies, and I talk about this a lot in my new cholesterol book, there's a whole chapter on coconut oil and cheese and dairy and, you know, whatever. Um, but the coconut oil goes into great lengths and details. I think I actually did a podcast about it. If you search my podcast for coconut oil, um, I actually read to you the chapter of my cholesterol book on this exact topic. But the coconut oil, um, they, they were, there are some studies that show that if it is mostly extra virgin, or like, you know, first cold pressed or what have you, then it doesn't raise your LDL cholesterol as much. So there is some data that shows that coconut oil in certain scenarios when it's super extra virgin, um, super extra virgin or cold pressed or what have you, then it does not raise your LDL cholesterol, your ApoB as much. So there is that data there. So that's that. The other, the other question are the, the ones that are kind of in between. What about like dairy, you know, whole fat dairy or even just semi, you know, half fat dairy, whole fat dairy milk is like five, four to 5% fat. 2% is about half. 1% is about half of that. And then there's skim, which has almost no fat whatsoever. Dairy in most studies, it, it also kind of goes back and forth. There are some studies that show a negative trend towards, uh, you know, uh, cardiovascular disease, cardiovascular markers, cardiovascular mortality. There are studies that show a neutral effect where it really doesn't uh, have an effect. And then there are studies that show a slight positive effect. Um, so it really depends. Then you have cheese. Cheese is also a little bit um, odd because in most studies, it raises your cardiovascular mortality. However, there was one study that showed that women actually who ate cheese uh, actually did better. Their cardiovascular mortality went down. So there's that one too. The 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 other one that's a little bit tricky is um, fermented dairy. Like these are like your yogurts and certain cheeses. Um, they're called fermented dairy. The data on fermented da dairy uh, has shown um, a neutral to positive effect on cardiovascular disease and cardiovascular outcomes. So that I hope Tom answers your question. I know is a little bit long winded, but I think that's the fairest way uh, to answer that uh, question. And, you know, I hope that answers it. Let me look down. I think there was one other really good question from today. 
So the next question comes from Joel. His name is Joel Gallant or Gallant. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. His his Twitter handle is SportsCamDude. He asks, I don't understand the difference between endogenous cholesterol and dietary cholesterol. One side would have you believe that food has nothing to do with anything, and the other side, don't ever eat saturated fat again. So this is a really good question. Um, he's really asking more than one question, um, and this is very easily confused because a lot of people don't know the difference. So cholesterol is a different molecule than saturated fat. Saturated fat is not cholesterol. Saturated fat is fat. Uh, cholesterol is something that is made in the body. You can consume it. Eggs, especially the yolk of eggs, generally has cholesterol in it and shrimp. In the United States, the two most common sources for dietary cholesterol are usually egg yolks and shrimp. And I have a whole chapter of that in my uh, upcoming cholesterol book. It's, uh, it's actually on dietary fat or dietary cholesterol, and it's actually mostly about shrimp and egg yolks. And we won't get into the details of that. Maybe I'll read that book on the podcast, that, that chapter on the podcast one day. Um, but but that is what we mean by dietary cholesterol. It's cholesterol you ingest. Um, saturated fat, kind of like I explained earlier, it kind of ties in with the previous question. Those are all the fats that you can eat. Um, they're usually solid at room temperature. That's how you know they're saturated fats is they're solid at room temperature. So I'm assuming he actually is asking about dietary cholesterol. I think I, I did the saturated fat um question just before this saturated fat generally is considered harmful because it reduces the amount of ldl receptors which are used to clear cholesterol from your bloodstream and they also increase cholesterol synthesis via various mechanisms we don't always know the mechanisms um, but those are kind of the two ways that uh, saturated fat affects cholesterol it raises cholesterol generally speaking um, so dietary fat or dietary cholesterol and endogenous cholesterol are two different kinds. So all cholesterol in your body ends up in your intestines somehow, and that's where it's reabsorbed back ultimately back into your bloodstream. So let's talk about how does cholesterol end up in your intestines. So one of the ways is dietary cholesterol. If you eat a bunch of shrimp, that cholesterol from the shrimp ends up in your intestines. That's one way that's called dietary cholesterol. Endogenous cholesterol is the cholesterol from your body. Every cell in your body makes cholesterol. It is trafficked back to your liver via lipoproteins. They are brought back to your liver. Your liver excretes it, you know, through your bile duct back into your intestines and it ends up back in your intestines. Your liver also makes its own cholesterol. Your liver makes what we call de novo synthesis, where your liver makes its own cholesterol and some of that ultimately um, ends up in your bile. Uh, duct and into your intestines. So the cholesterol that ends up in your intestines ultimately comes from two sources. One is dietary, which is like, let's say, shrimp or egg yolks that you eat. It's about 10 to 15% of your total cholesterol. In the U.S., it's not that huge of a problem because we don't eat that many, you know, shrimp and uh, yolks. Um, but the vast majority of the cholesterol that ends up in your intestines for reabsorption is your own cholesterol that is being made in your own body that has been trafficked back to your liver. So that is the uh, endogenous synthesis. All of that is still cholesterol, and it still can affect your um, blood levels of cholesterol, whether you you ate it or it came back to your intestines via transportation or trafficking. It ultimately still needs to be eliminated and or reabsorbed. Uh, most of it is reabsorbed back into your bloodstream via various ways. Chylomicrons take it out into your lymphatic system, 
which ultimately dumps into your circulatory system. They deliver the cholesterol, well, mostly free fatty acids, the triglycerides, fatty acids, uh, to your muscles. Your muscles will use them if needed, and then it go, they go to fat tissues or adipose tissue to deliver the excess triglycerides for fat storage. That's how we gain fat. Then chylomicrons are eventually returned to the liver, degraded, and you know reprocessed. Um, the cholesterol that comes back to your liver comes back from all the different cells in your body. Every cell in your body is capable of making cholesterol on its own. It doesn't need help. It almost never gets it from circulating cholesterol. They make their own. All you need is an acetate and a citrate molecule, and every single cell has those. And every single cell needs cholesterol because um, you need to... You need cholesterol so that you can have fluid cell membranes and, you know, various things in the cells. Um, so you need cholesterol and your cells do make it. And it's just a matter of like, how does it eventually leave and get out of your system? That's what uh, the lipoproteins do is they transport it back to your liver and then ultimately back into your intestines. If you're on cholesterol blocking agents like Zetamibe or Zetia, you will not absorb back as much. Um, if you are on medications that reduce cholesterol synthesis, like statins, for example, or pempidoic acid, they you will not make as much in various tissues and various organs, depending on where those medications act. Bempidoic acid acts mainly on your liver, whereas statins can act on almost all cells uh, in your body. So I hope that helps. If you like stuff like this and this intrigues you, join my community. You can get in there for free for the first month. Go to drallo.net slash community. DrAllo.net, D-R-A-L-O.net slash community. If you use the code one month, one, the number one, and then M-O-N-T-H, all caps, M-O-N-T-H, one, M-O-N-T-H, you get into my community for free. See if you like it. We do Zooms uh, every Monday night. We do Zooms. We talk about stuff like this. Um, we're all really good friends. We are trying to keep it small, so we don't really want that many people in there. <laughs> Sorry, just being honest. Um, but if you want to join and try it out, let, you know, go to that link and try it. Um, and you also get an app on your phone so you can text me and ask me questions all day and all night. And that's part, you know, part of our community. We share pictures. We talk about cholesterol. We talk about weight loss diet. You know, if you don't know me, I'm a board certified, double board certified cardiologist and a certified personal trainer. We literally talk about fitness, diet, health, nutrition, longevity all day and all night. I'll never run any ads on here, so uh, just leave me some good reviews. I'll be super grateful and super appreciative. Go to your favorite podcast player, search Dr. Allo Show, and just leave some awesome, amazing reviews, and I will be forever grateful. Enjoy. Catch you in the next episode. Peace. Peace.